0: Welcome to Awaken
1: Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Okay friends, I have the distinct honor and privilege of introducing a couple of friends of mine named Jeremiah and Vanessa to you. Uh, many of you know if you've been to Awaken, uh, we are very interested in art and creativity and how those things connect to who we are uh, made in the image of God. And so um, they're going to show a little excerpt from a uh, show that they've got going. It opens, I think, this Thursday, um, right over here at the Art House North, which is about a block away. It's called Till Death. And uh, they're going to be in the back after the gathering uh, with uh, information about that, where you can get tickets. And uh, if you have questions for them, you're welcome to ask them. But Jeremiah and Vanessa and the Bucket Brigade. Thanks, Micah. Good morning, neighbors. Uh, Vanessa and I
2: live just down the road, just down Juneau here, uh, before you hit Victoria. Uh, we moved here a couple years ago, and uh, just with a passion of telling redemptive stories, that's what we've been doing full-time for 15 years, and wanted to do that in a community. And uh, we love what's going on here in West 7th. So we wanted to introduce ourselves. We know some of you, but uh, wanted to introduce ourselves to the rest of you. This is five minutes of a 90-minute show, so it's kind of like hearing the intro to a song. Um, but... Uh, So you get the intro. This is how the show starts. Picture, if you will, a cabin. Picture, if you will. (laughs) Um, And uh, so here we go. Uh, What are you doing here?
0: Uh, um, What are you
2: doing here? I I just came up here to get away.
0: Yeah, but you shouldn't be here.
2: Well, actually, you shouldn't be here.
0: Wait, did my... Parents talked to you? Yes, they did. They did. What did they say?
2: Well, they said that I should get away for the weekend, that there's great cabin up in the mountains. I can't believe this. Why? What did they tell you? The
0: exact same thing.
2: They told you to come here? Yes. This weekend? Yes. So, looks like we've been set up.
0: Yes, we have.
2: This is unexpected.
0: I can't believe they did this.
2: They mean well. We can't do this. Do
0: what? Be together
2: we're married we're separated yeah but we're in a beautiful cabin in the beautiful mountains
0: with each other
2: that can be a good thing (sighs) not lately sometimes you know what this weekend is don't you (laughs) happy anniversary
0: happy happy
2: 15 years is Sunday that's something yeah Well, we're here. We may as well enjoy our anniversary together.
0: So that's their plan. sequester us in a romantic little cabin for the weekend. What do they think is going to happen? Who
2: knows? Maybe we'll just have to play it out. I just... Look, if it's cohabitation you're worried about, there's two bedrooms. I can take the twin bed, you can take the king. I don't know. I've been sleeping on a couch the past three months. A tiny bed will be an improvement.
0: You really want to do this?
2: Yeah, I mean, they flew us out here. They... Stock the fridge. With stuff I like or stuff you like? Mostly stuff they like. Mm. (laughs) Anyway, they went to all this trouble. Come on, it'll be fun. It'll be like camp. One night. One night at a time. Okay. Okay, why don't you you get settled and uh, I'll get you something to eat. Don't do a big thing. I'm not. Just let me get you something. Sure. Let's enjoy this.
0: I'll try. Uh, bathroom is... Ah, yep. Ah, yes. Okay. I can't believe this. This is
2: unreal. I
0: shouldn't be here. He shouldn't be here. Why should I even stay? Wait. This is my chance. I have to tell him.
2: This is my chance. I need to show her. There must be a way to say.
0: I've never done this, what are the words? How do I
2: do this? Where do I start? I I must find find a a way way to say, it's over. I'll show her, it's over. I'll win her, it's over. I'll show her, it's over. I'll win her, I know I can change. Just have to say It's not over What do the counselors say? The little things. Yeah, I'll start by putting the toilet seat up. Down? Wait, up then down.
0: (laughs) I'll start by wearing this sweater. He hates it. Or... Or do I?
2: (laughs) I'll give her several unsolicited compliments.
0: Oh, I can't forget to put on his least favorite lipstick. I'll initiate
2: loving non-sexual touch.
0: (laughs) I'll bring up our irreconcilable differences. I'll write our little notes. I'll drop him little hints. The The little things things make
2: all the difference.
0: The little things add up up and up and
2: up. If you want to tackle problems that seem too big to face, it's best to start the process in a manageable place with the little things. I'll ask her how she feels. I'll tell
0: him how I feel. I'll listen. I'll talk.
2: This This is is my chance. chance. (laughs) I can do this. This is is my chance. chance. Here's where I start The little things make all the difference The little things add up and up and up If you wanna tackle problems that seem too big to face It's best to start the process in a manageable place With the little things make all the difference The little things add up and up and up If you wanna tackle problems that seem too big to face
0: If you're wondering where these problems got started in the
2: first place It's the little things And little by little By little by little By little by little She'll see It's over I'll show her It's over I'll win her It's over I'll show her It's over I'll win her I know I can change I just have to say it's not over.
1: Yeah. So Jeremiah and Vanessa are new marriage counselors at Awaken, and uh, <laughs> it's going to be a great ministry, guys. It's going to be awesome. Uh, My wife and I saw this last year, and it is hilariously funny and really, really great. So I encourage you to go. Um, Hi. Nice to see you all. If you have your Bibles, open them, find them, look for them, turn them on. Can you imagine if somebody 2,000 years ago would have heard that? Turn on your Bible. They'd be like, what on earth are you talking about? Mark chapter 5, if you have them. Um, We are headed towards communion, which is always... A good place to end. Doesn't really matter what I say because we've got that at the end. So that's good. That's good. Uh, I went to school in Denver, if uh, you didn't know that. I went to college in Denver. I grew up here in Minnesota, but uh, ended up in school at Denver. And um, the added bonus of Denver is you get to drive from Minnesota to Colorado and you get to see all of Nebraska. Yes, yes. I've made that drive many, many times, and, uh, you know, places like Council Bluffs, Iowa. Yep. <laughs> Iowa's in the house. Lincoln, Nebraska. Oh, seriously, I once heard it described as the armpit of America. <laughs> Sorry, if you're from Lincoln, you <laughs> I just from there. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, so, and, and, and there's lots of lovely places along the way. Kearney, Nebraska, spelled, I think it's Kearney, but it's spelled Kearney, like Matt Kearney. Um place called North Platte, Nebraska. Yeah, yeah. And then there's a place, a little place called. No, uh, that's from Dumb and Dumber. A little place called Ogallala, Nebraska. It's on the map, guys. You can look for it. Now, the upside of Ogallala, Nebraska is when you get to Ogallala, Nebraska, there are two signs. There's one sign telling you where the nearest Cabela's is, which is good to know. But then there's also a sign that says Denver 212, which means essentially like you're almost there. The border for Colorado is near, it's like within, you can almost see it, and the eastern part of Colorado is basically just like Nebraska, except it's not Nebraska, which is an upside. Like, you've gone up, and you're literally going up to the Mile High City at that point. But there are these signposts along the way when you're driving across, and that last one in Ogallala, 212, it means you're almost there. It's only about two hours from there. (laughs) If you're doing 110. But signposts are really great for lots of different reasons. Uh, They help you know where you are in the journey, uh, but they also let you know what's coming, and they let you know what's up ahead. The Gospels are a lot like signposts, and especially Mark's Gospel, which we're in. Mark continuously is giving these signposts about what's coming and what Jesus is doing. They never give you all the details. They don't fill in the whole picture, but they let you know what's ahead. Uh, which, by the way, is why Jesus doesn't raise everybody to life and heal everybody, because he's beginning a kingdom that that will come to fruition, but it's not quite here yet. So you can't heal everybody right out of the gate, right? So in a lot of ways, that's what Mark's doing. He's showing us these signposts of what's coming. He showed us that Jesus going out to be baptized in the Jordan by John and then going out into the wilderness, which is this new Exodus idea, He shows Jesus, uh, he opens the gospel with Jesus calling 12 disciples, this new idea of God's new people, new Israel. He shows Jesus forgiving the sins of the lame man, which we talked about last week, but then also uh, outside of the temple, outside of the sacrificial system, essentially this new way of forgiveness happening It's all of these things that are to come. And in this passage that we're going to read today, and we're going to look at for just a few moments, there are two of uh, arguably the biggest or the greatest signposts that we see. So if you have your Bible, stand. We'll begin in verse 21 of Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, says this, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, "'My little daughter is dying. "'Please come and put your hands on her "'so that she will be healed and live.'" And so Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had, offered, or she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I could just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus looked around and, to see who had done it, and then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, "'Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering.'" While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. "'Your daughter is dead,' they said. "'Why bother the teacher anymore?' Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, "'Don't be afraid, just believe.'" He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, and the brother brother of James, When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw the commotion, with the people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went into where the child was. He took her by the hand and said, Talitha Koum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around, for she was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished, and he gave strict orders to not let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Pray with me. God, this morning as we gather in this place and we bring all that we are, uh, as much as we can, uh, as much as we dare to, to you and uh, to these stories and these songs and our time, uh, it's always my prayer that you would speak, that you would uh, invite us, more and more and more into what it means to be human, what it means to be who you always made us to be, what it means to be connected to you and to those around us again. Uh, I pray that your spirit would uh, lead us and guide us in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So today, here's what I want to do. I want to look at a couple of things that Mark does as a writer. He's a great storyteller. There's a couple of things that he just, little nuggets in here that are, I think, really, really fascinating and kind of make the story come alive for me. So I want to look at those, and then I want to focus our time on two things as we head towards communion that I think Mark really highlights about this story about Jairus and his daughter and then this woman who was bleeding uh, as we move towards communion. So first, some of these textual things. Now, These might be a little nerdy, a little theological, which uh, kind of tips my hand in terms of what I think I might be a theology nerd, uh, in case you didn't put that together. But I think that they're really cool. So first, you have this sandwich, Mark's sandwich, and we've talked about this a couple of times in this series. Mark does this as a writer where he'll take one, story, one idea or one story, and he'll start it, and then he'll stop it and kind of move on to something else. But then he comes back to it. He does this in chapter 11, which we'll study in a few weeks, with the fig tree and the temples or the temple. And then last a couple of weeks ago, we looked at it in chapter 3 and 4, where we got this, it's called a chiasm, where he sort of starts, zoomed out, and he tells a story about a healing, and then a story about eating, and then a story about new wine and new wineskins, and then he backs, he backs the truck out, right? Another story about eating, and then a story about healing. It's as if he starts zoomed out and zooms into what he wants to say, and then he zooms back out. And this sandwich is basically the same idea. It's a shorter version of it. And these two stories of Jairus and his daughter, and then this woman who's bleeding are absolutely connected. They're interdependent, and they speak to each other. They actually sort of offer things to one another. These two characters, they work off of each other. And we get one detail in the story that may seem a little ironic or weird, but we've seen this before, which is this second little note I want to make. The number 12 is a signpost of what's ahead. We've talked about this idea of 12, and Jesus uh, starts the gospel in Mark by calling these 12 new people to follow him, which is symbolic of, of course, this nation called Israel, the 12 sons of Jacob. And then Jesus calls these new disciples to follow him, and they end up becoming the beginnings of the new people of God in the world. So we see this number 12 right from the beginning. And in this story, it seems random that Mark would say that Jairus' daughter uh, was 12 years old. Okay, thanks. And then we get it again with the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, as if to say that there's something happening here, and, and Mark is making this, this, this argument about the people of God. And that it is as big and as wide as you could possibly imagine. That there isn't any outside of in for this new group of people. It includes pagans. It includes women, which is interesting. We could talk about that another day. Uh, It includes uh, people who are ceremonial unclean. It includes anybody and everybody. And then he says, another note, another signpost, she's only sleeping about this girl who's dead. Often in the ancient world, people would talk about uh, death in terms of sleeping, and especially in the Jewish culture. There's a great belief among Judaism in Jesus' day that at one point, God would come back and there would be a great resurrection of all of those who are in God. Now, which is, it's a little weird and why people aren't quite catching on to the fact that only Jesus is resurrected at the beginning. He's the first fruits of what's to come, Paul says, but he says she's only sleeping about this little girl. Last week, if you remember, we, t- we talked about a, s- a story about a seed that grows while the, 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 the person who, the farmer who scattered the seed, it grows while he's awake or while he's sleeping. Same exact words. It's as if Mark knows where this story is headed, to a tomb in a garden where Jesus awakes from this short sleep only right before resurrection, as if to say, death is not death in that it's final, it doesn't have the last word, but it's something that is only temporary. And so he says to this little girl, or to the parents of this little girl, she's only sleeping. Another signpost of what Mark is doing, these sort of hints of what's coming, right? So we have this uh, Mark sandwich, we have these signposts, and then we have these two people who couldn't be more opposite. And we'll break that down a little bit. They couldn't be farther from each other on the spectrum, culturally, socially, politically, religiously, and yet they're exactly the same Person. it's fascinating Jairus he's a man he's a religious official he, uh, he he's he's the he's well off he's well respected in his community he is ceremonially clean he's at the center of the community right if you imagine a small little village along the shores of Galilee and a village would have a synagogue where they worship together that was the center of the town and this guy is like the leader of this deal so he's at the top of the ladder and then you have an unnamed woman, right? If you're talking about the top of the social totem pole and the religious totem pole, you literally have the bottom, a woman who doesn't even have a name. And she's ceremonially unclean. She's at, literally at the edge of the community. She would have been like, living out away from the people because she's unclean. She's at the bottom of the ladder. It's as if Mark is saying, Jesus is for everybody even the people that you think he might not be for, even the people that you might think are outside of whatever in is in your mind, it's as if Mark is saying, no, Jesus is actually for them too. They couldn't be further from each other. And yet, fascinatingly enough, they're like the exact same person. They both have heard of this Jesus, right? He's been wandering around teaching, doing his thing. They've heard of this name. The crowds are gathering, and they're both interested at least to some degree. They both have an extreme, desperate need for healing, and they both find themselves running, having run out of options and desperate, and they both find themselves at the feet of Jesus. Our good friend Sufian Stevens would say, there's no shade in the shadow of the cross. There's, you may have heard it said, it's level at the foot of the cross, that there's no up or down there's no ladders there's no totem poles there's no clicks there's no in or out these two opposite people and yet how often is that the case where we f- think of someone who is so different than us and they're so other and yet the closer you get the more you realize that they're just like you and they're just like me which is just a let's stop for a second Maybe file that one away as we think about people in the world. So I guess I just want to pause this morning just for a moment. And I wonder if there's anybody here who is desperately in need of healing to see God's power at work in their life. I've been doing this long enough to know that it all walks in the doors on Sunday mornings. I'm always just, I don't know why, but I'm always shocked at the stories that I hear about where people come from and the things that you all have walked through in the last seven days, let alone the last year. And I trust that there probably are people here this morning who desperately need to see God work. Maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's a relationship with a family member, maybe you've just received news that you just never saw coming and you don't even know how to put your head around it. Maybe it's some addiction. Maybe it's something physical. If we just go by the story, I would say, there's good news. You're in a good place. Now, these two stories. Why these two stories? If these are some of the interesting literary notes, why these two stories? A story about a man whose daughter dies and a story about a woman who has some sort of chronic illness. Why these two? Why does Mark connect them as he does? I want to suggest that they tap into two of our greatest fears as humans. These existential questions that we ask are right here in this text. And I I want to suggest this. You know, I've been thinking about this teaching. I was walking in this morning. uh, I practice in my car. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but like before you all get here, you can usually find me like preaching to the snowbank back there in the, you know, literally, I'm just going for it, you know, like right in the car. Sometimes I'm just, if someone were to put a camera on it, it would be a sight to see. But I was, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about this teaching, and I'm like, you know, I, th- I think that this is what Mark is doing, so I wanted to test this. I had a test case, and it was uh, at dinner the other night with my kids. So we're gathered around, we've had a great conversation about, uh, about uh, uh, the, like, the first settlers to America Jamestown, I think it was, Jamestown, and what does it mean to be a Native American, and what does it mean to be a settler, and all kinds of great questions about this. I mean, it's just dicey. It was great. Loved it. <laughs> you know, as, like, a teacher dad, uh, I just sort of, like, slip into this mode, and I'm sure that they someday will say, like, oh, here he goes again, you know, here comes the questions. But so I test, the, I test my theory this this week, and I say, I say to my kids, so, guys, what are you afraid of? And Lyndon goes, snakes! <laughs> to which we're all like, why do you keep checking out books at the library on snakes then? Like, you're, a, you're like sadistic or masochistic or whatever, you're like, you want to inflict harm on yourself, whatever that word is? And she goes, they're just so cool. (laughs) I hate snakes. But then one of them says, I'm scared of being alone. There's one. And then Lyndon goes, I'm scared of being eaten by wolves. (laughs) And there it is. Number two, we're afraid of being alone and we're afraid of death. I think that Mark puts these two stories together because these two things have been haunting humans from the garden. And it goes all the way back to the beginning. We have a fear of being alone. If you study humans over the millennia, you see patterns emerge, and as a whole, humans move towards community they move towards relationship this is because we were made for community it's in our dna we're hardwired for it which is why we fear isolation why we fear many of us that we're all alone in this now some of you are like man alone done give it to me for a week i don't get you (laughs) in total but as a whole we can't live without relationships there's actually studies done about feral children and what happens when you, you don't have other human contact and you literally become inhuman without it. I, I had a, an opportunity to go on a trip when I was in college uh, to go fishing by myself. Laura had gone home for a break and she left her car. Nice. So I take the car, and I, I plan a five-day trip to go up in the mountains to go fishing all by myself. This great, beautiful river, like iconic river in the, in the, Rocky, Mount, in the Rocky Mountains, just past a little place called Aspen. <laughs> yes, I wasn't even planning on bringing that in. That's great. So I go to this place. I set up my tent, and then I, I go down to the stream, and I start fishing, and I'm standing there in the middle of the river, and then it dawns on me. I am totally alone. Like utterly alone. And my heart starts beating faster and I start thinking of all the worst case scenarios about what happens to people when they are alone in the mountains and mountain lions come or bears come or who knows, some crazy guy. I spent like the the whole evening in the bar down in the town because I didn't want to go back to the campsite. I may have had one too many margaritas while I was down there. I make my way back to the campsite and I slept there, and then I literally packed up my whole tent in my camp, and I left because I was afraid of being alone. Ironically, we've talked about cataphatic prayer sometimes at Awaken, like imagining uh, being with God, and when, when I go to a place, the place that I go to, ironically enough, is on the Frying Pan River, the very place where I felt what it feels like to be alone the, the most acutely in my whole life, and this is where Jesus meets me. We fear being alone. We fear death. In all sorts of ways, we try to stop the aging process. Many of you know the the, the myth about Ponce de Leon. Uh, evidently, this was Florida. I didn't re- I didn't recognize this, but they came looking for the Fountain of Youth in like the fifteen hundreds. These stories of the Fountain of Youth they go all the way back. Like Alexander the Great, we have him talking about it. And BT Dubs, the anti aging cream commercials, it doesn't work. Like it's so fascinating. They're like. You know, reverse the aging process, put this paste on your face, and you'll look like you were 16 again. It's like everybody knows that's not going to work, right? No? Okay. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, friends, but it's not going to work. It just doesn't. You can't stop it. It will come for you. Death. Sorry. We can't control it. We can't stop it. We can't avoid it, which is why we're afraid of it, because we're afraid of things that we don't know, and we're afraid of things that we can't control. Mark puts these two stories together because they're fundamental, and they take us right back to the beginning. So let's look at these two stories real quickly. Jairus, right? This guy, he tells us he's a synagogue official. He means, yeah, it means he's well-off. He's respected in the community. He's, he's a, a man in a patriarchal culture, which means he's in a position of power and influence. Uh, in the ancient world, he's at the center of the town, the center of worship. Now, let's not forget that Jairus is actually, he's a part of, uh, represents a group of people who weren't too thrilled about Jesus at this point. There's this, uh, there's this traveling guy who's going around healing people and, and giving sight to the blind and casting out demons, and everybody wants a ticket to that show. But he's also sort of having a go at, the, he's critiquing the temple and sacrifice and the whole system, right? He's forgiving people without asking them to go to temple. So the religious leaders are a little upset about this guy. And if you're Jairus, who's, this, who's like the leader of the religious group of people, you want to steer clear of this fellow. He's nothing but trouble. That is until the worst possible thing that could happen does happen. And your little girl gets sick the little girl who has the whole world out in front of her, whose smile lights up the room. And you run out of options. And if you don't do something, your little girl is going to die. And so Gyrus does what any father would do, most fathers would do, when their little girls stare death in the face. They throw caution to the wind, they take sense and throw it out the window, and he literally throws himself at the feet of Jesus, which this guy would never do. Like, people of this stature don't do that. It's terribly inappropriate. And there he finds himself, prostrate before this traveling itinerant preacher, healer guy. So they start heading back to to his house, and Jesus gets sidetracked in the crowd, this woman who's been bleeding. We read this story about this woman, and we may feel bad for her, right? Like she suffered 12 years. Like maybe you have a chronic issue that you've suffered and you get that but you can't really get what's happening unless you get into the culture. And in Jewish culture and under the law of Moses, there's clean and unclean. And there are huge implications for clean and unclean. If you're clean, it means you can participate in community. It means that you can come into the town. It means that you can sit at a table. It means that you can have intimate relationships with other people. It means that all of humanity and all that's good and beautiful and true and right is offered to you. And if you're unclean usually for at least a time, those things are not. You literally often found yourself outside of the town by yourselves because if you touched anybody who was clean, they became unclean. So this woman, it's terrible for a week or a month or a year, but 12 years of isolation. If we were made for community and relationship, It's as if you're dead. And she just throws caution to the wind, and she pushes her way through the crowd. And as she gets near Jesus, she touches him. And Jesus, of course, he responds with this great question of, who touched me? Right? Imagine if you're you're, you're a big, huge crowd, you're the disciples, and he's like, hey, who touched me? And the disciples are like, uh, I know you're the son of God and all, but... uh, (laughs) It's kind of a crowd, like, who do you mean, who touched you? There's hundreds of people around. And he's like, no, somebody touched me. And this woman, like, recognizes there's no way out. She throws herself at the feet of Jesus, and he says to her, woman, your faith has healed you. Which is an interesting response, because one could argue that the power of God has healed her. But he says, your faith has healed you. It's fascinating. Here's what I want to say as we head towards communion. If Mark is giving us these signposts of what's to come, these two stories are good news, and they're two stories that go all the way back to the beginning. He tells a story about a man whose daughter dies and a woman who's been isolated from human contact and relationship. Two people who couldn't be further from one another, and yet two people who find themselves desperate and out of options sitting in front of Jesus, staring in the face two fears that humans have wrestled with from the beginning. Where the consequence of Eden is death and relational brokenness. And it's right here in the midst of this moment in the midst of these fears in the midst of this reality this crippling pain and these deep sorrows that Mark says Mark invites us to see that Jesus is inviting these people and maybe you maybe me this morning to move from fear to faith by trusting That in Jesus, there is no outside of in. That in Jesus, all are welcome. That in Jesus, there is no category, there is no marker, there is no anything that keeps you outside of in, in Jesus. That's good news. Come on, can I get an amen on that? I mean, seriously, you're all Scandinavian, but come on, people. (laughs) This is good news. Mark says, listen, gang. In Christ, there's no outside of in. There has been a way made for you to get back, for relationships to be healed, for things that were broken to be mended. There has been a way that has been made. And so Mark invites us. Whatever fear might be there, what does it look like to take one step towards faith? Trusting that this is actually true about this fella named Jesus. And then he, he invites us to see that in Jesus, the door of death has been knocked on and opened. See, we fear things we don't know. The door of death has been knocked on and opened and answered. Mark essentially says that the worst that could happen, death itself has been answered in Jesus in victory, and that there's no more mystery, there's no more unknown, there's no more fear about what lies on the other side, because Jesus, our brother, has blazed a trail through it, through death, and into resurrection, and says, any and all, come and follow. The two great things that you have, like, pla- that have plagued humanity for since the beginning Mark says, here they are, a story about a guy whose daughter dies and a story about a woman who is isolated from community. So, this morning, maybe you've come here today, and in some way, you need the healing touch of God, and you're out of options. I hear so many stories about people who try, 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 only to find themselves just bankrupt. Bankrupt. Maybe that's you this morning. And I would invite you to consider what I think Mark is putting right out in front of us. These two stories of good news about this person named Jesus. So as we respond this morning, um, I just want to sort of walk us through the next few minutes of our time. There will be a moment of silence. I'll lead you into that. Uh, I'll come back and uh, invite us to communion. Communion. If you've never been here before, our kids will come up and we'll give them honey. Uh, We invite them to, may the word of God be like honey on your lips. And after the kids come, you're welcome to come and receive the table. Uh, There's bread and we'll invite you to dip it into the cup. There's white grape juice and red wine. And there's gluten-free options over here. Um, And all the while, the prayer team will be available uh, to pray with you. John Mark will be leading us in songs. So there's a number of ways you can respond. So in this time of silence, uh, I'll invite you to consider what are some of the fears that you bring today? What are the needs that you bring here this morning? And what does it look like for you to take one step from fear towards faith? And I hesitate even saying that because that sounds so trite and cheesy. But it's true because that's the invitation. What does it look like to, be- to actually believe and trust and have faith that this is true about Jesus and that he comes and offers these things to us here today, not 2,000 years ago, but right here today? And there's a reminder of it right here that we come to. So let me offer a word of prayer in a time of silence. God, as we gather this morning in this place and we consider what it means that you have come, that you have done what you did, And that you offer it to us this morning, that there's no outside of in, that there there isn't a category for people who aren't redeemable or unreconcilable or unforgivable, that faith is the channel through which we see the power of God at work. And so in this time of silence, God, would you lead us to the places where we hold our fears and where we hold our needs? And whatever way we need to hear it, would you invite us to give those to you to move towards faith, trusting, desperate to see and experience the power of God in our lives. Amen, 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 amen. May it be so, so good to be with you all. Thank you so much for coming. Um, I hope and trust that the Spirit gives what we need. And uh, so let's just, uh, let's keep that spirit. If you need prayer for anything, if you'd like a blessing, pray it over your family. Um, the prayer team will be available. They are always here every Sunday. Would love to do that. Um, yeah. That's all we need right there. Grace and peace. See you later. See you later.
0: Find us online. At www.awakencommunity.com. Or on Facebook at www.facebook.com Backslash Community Or on Twitter
1: at Community See you
2: okay. next time.